0: It is a blessing to see everybody here today. Again, I want to welcome you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for being a part of our fellowship today. But I do need to start off with a couple of things. First of all, if you do not have a Bible, uh, raise your hand. And the lovely and talented Brian Thacker will make sure that you have a Bible. So if you need one, just raise your hand and he'll get one to you. And the second thing, which I think is the most important thing, is... Um, do not judge the ability of Calvary Chapel to bring forth the Word of God by me today. Our real pastor, Pastor Tim, will be back here next Sunday. Okay, so just be patient. Be praying for me and be patient. Okay, starting off, how many of you, raise your by hand, how many of you have ever gone through a trial or a battle in your daily life? Okay, all right, yeah, I'll put it like that, right? Okay. <laughs> How many of you are right now going through trials or battles in your life? Okay. How many of you are married? <laughs> okay, yeah. It's funny. You put both hands up both times. I understand that. It's because we are in a spiritual battle. It doesn't, I'm telling you, it doesn't matter how good your day is, we are in a spiritual battle. The enemy today is assaulting the church, I think, greater than he ever has. There are more Christians persecuted in the Middle East and around the world today than at any time in history. It's because the enemy understands that time is short. He knows the Word of God. He doesn't have the ability to see into the future, but he knows the Word of God. And he knows what we see in the Word and what we see going on in the world today lets him know time's close. And for him, that means he's going to have more control over this world. So what I'm telling you is we are in a spiritual battle. So what I want us to do right now is open up our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through 4. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And if you would stand with me as we read the Word of God. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, we come before you right now, Lord, we ask that you would be the teacher, that you would be the one who opens our ears and allows us to hear what the Spirit is saying to us, Lord. Lord, no matter what our day has been, no matter what our week or month or year has been, we want to submit all those things to you. Lord, you are worthy to receive honor and praise. Lord, it doesn't matter how I feel. What matters is that you are worthy of my praise, Lord, and so we thank you. We ask, Lord, that... uh, You would anoint the hearts and the minds right now that we would truly understand that we are in a battle and that you really are our commanding general and we need to be obedient and faithful to what you've called us to do in your word. So, Lord, we open uh, our time now and ask that you would have free reign and that you would get us out of the way, that you would be edified in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Okay. The title today is Battle Ready. Is it up there? Yeah, Battle Ready. Okay, that that was me when I was in high school, by the way. But anyway, um, Battle Ready. Are are you Battle Ready? Well, what does it mean to be Battle Ready? We're going to kind of talk about those things today, but the first thing is the whole concept, the whole focus of verses 1 through 4 is of listening and preparing for what's coming. And Paul pretty much... Spells it out to young Timothy. In uh, in verse 1, he gives him his first order as uh, Timothy's superior in the Lord. He says, um, to be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. That's the first order that he gives young Timothy. Be strong in the grace that is Jesus Christ. Well, that word strong there is a command. It's an imperative. He's telling him, you must be strong. And there's a reason why he must be strong. It's because that Timothy, like us, because this is for us too today, right? We need to be strong. Now, how many of you have tried to do things on your own, through your own abilities, your own strengths, your own thinking, always trying to work an angle to get it to work out the way you want? I've done that so many times. And guess how that worked out for me? Not very good. And it's because my, my abilities are nothing in this world. I can't do the things that I'm called to do by the Lord unless I do it in the power and the strength of his Holy Spirit. So again, that word strong, this is what it really means. Even though it's an imperative, it's a command, it's not a choice, he's telling us you must be strong. That word means to, to be strengthened or to receive power. To be strengthened or receive power. And that, that's in, in a nutshell. You and I can't handle the battles that are coming at us in this world today unless we do it in the power of Christ. We need to be strengthened by him. We need to receive his power. Now, I also want to read Acts 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, you need to be strong. But that strength, again, is something that comes upon you. You do not inherently have the strength to battle the enemy. That can only come when you have, honestly, when you've taken the oath to commit your life to Christ. If you're outside of that, the enemy has free reign from you because you're still under the sway of the enemy in this world. Remember, the scripture tells us that he is the ruler of this age. But it's only temporary, amen? because the Lord one of these days is going to take that deed back, and he's going to set things right. But until then, we are in a spiritual battle every single day. So that was the first order. Be strong. Do it. The second thing uh, in verse 2, and I'll I'll read verse 2 here, the second order that he gets is this. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach also. Now, I'm kinda, what I'm doing here is I'm kind of comparing what it means to be a person in the military or first responders. Okay, If you have ever been in the service of your country, in whatever branch, okay, or if you've ever been a first responder, I would like you to stand up right now. If you've ever served your country as a member of the service, or if you've been a first responder, please stand up. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for your service. You see, all these folks that stood up, men and women, okay, they understand that they had to be trained by somebody. They just didn't take the oath, and they gave you a gun, and you went out there and did what you had to do. There was a training process that you had to go through. For those in the armed services, it's what we call basic training. A lot of people call it boot camp, but we call it basic training. Uh, in the uh, law enforcement or first responders, they have an academy they send them to. But it's the same thing. The older, seasoned, trained personnel impart into the younger, the new recruits, so to speak, what they need to know and how to do it to successfully complete whatever mission they have been called upon. Uh, in Fe- Ephesians 4.12, 4.11 and 12 tells us, And he himself gave to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints and for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. See, we have a responsibility as the older or more seasoned or trained individuals to do the same thing to the new recruits, so to speak. And we have new people that come into the body of Christ all the time. And when I say new, I don't mean that they're little kids. We have believers that come to Christ in their 60s and 70s and the process has to be the same those of you okay, that are endowed with the ability to teach you need to minister to those people and to equip them and build them up it's not just Pastor Tim's job it's not just the elders of the church if you have an opportunity to have a connection with somebody who trusts you and seeks your guidance you are a minister of the Lord also and you need to be able to begin to train them through the Word of God to make sure that they are battle-ready. Because if they're not, we know what the, what's going to happen in the world. They're going to come to Christ, they're going to be so happy, and then the enemy is going to put a target on their back, and the onslaught and the attack begins to happen. And if they're not edified and built up by the body of Christ, some of them are going to turn and run. We see it all the time, don't we? It happens. So I have a question. Um, have you ever wondered why so many of our young people leave the church? Why do so many of our young folks that are raised in the church leave? Well, a recent Barna study said that 70% Now, this is, this, is, this is astounding to me. I, I, I can't even wrap my head around this. That 70% of all young adults that faithfully attended a youth group at their local church leave the faith within two years after high school. 70%. So that means, let's, let's be honest here. Look around the room and see all the young folks that are in here. Well, according to the statistics, 70% of those will not be following Christ after two years in high school. Why? Well, again, basic training boot camp as Christians, right? The number one reason, according to the Barna poll, was that they had unanswered questions about faith and doctrines which means we weren't doing the job that we should have been doing for our young people. And this one was the second one. Other things took priority. Their mindset was church, faith in God, wasn't of importance compared to the other things of the world that took my time and my attention. And the study found that the greatest contributing factor to this exodus of our young adults, according to the Pew study, not specifically to Calvary Chapel, but the Pew study, was that the adults in the young people's lives were not passing down the sound biblical doctrine. They weren't training. They weren't imparting their knowledge and wisdom. They weren't employing the basic training techniques into our young people before it was too late. And to me, that's that is such a, that is such a a hard thing to deal with, especially Um, having four boys that I've raised. And I know that uh, two of them um, are walking with the Lord, um, and two of them aren't. And I often wonder, and and Lee and I you know, (laughs) cry and pray about this many times, did we not do the job that we were supposed to do? I don't want to be a downer, okay? Um, I just want to encourage you, look, we need to do a better job equipping and training our young people. And anybody who comes into our body, as a new believer, we need to train them and prepare them for what's coming. Amen? So with that, um, anybody who really feels a, a passion and a desire to minister to our young people and begin to train them, um, you can see me after service and I'll get you signed up for children's ministry or direct you to LaDonna for youth ministry. Okay? Amen? Okay. All right. Now comes the third and I think important reason in, in chapter th- in verse 3. He says, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You must endure hardship. You see, the reason why we need to be strong in the grace that is found only in the power of Christ is because we must endure. And if we're going to be a good soldier for Christ, it's not a question of if those hardships are going to come. But when they do come, will you endure them? Now, these same folks that stood up, they took an oath of office. Whether, again, it's armed services, first responders, they took an oath. And that oath, they, they, when they took it, they understood there was going to be some hardships coming. I mean, think about it. Those of you that went through any uh, basic combat training in the services, you heard the stories from other guys about what it was going to be like when you went into camp, right? I mean, the, the horror stories, okay? And I I know what that is. But they still didn't shirk away from it. They willfully stood and raised their hand and promised to defend the Constitution, this country, from all enemies, foreign and domestic. domestic. The the same thing with first responders. Same exact oath is taken. Because it's understood that you're going to endure hardships. Think about today in, uh, in the climate of our country with law enforcement. It's almost like our law enforcement is pelted with verbal assaults on a constant basis. Who would want to take the oath and go out and defend their communities today? It's almost like they're a pariah. No, nobody seems to have a good word for them. Yet they put on their uniform and they put on their duty belt and they kiss their wife and kids goodbye every night knowing that they may not come back home. They understand they're going to endure hardships when they go out that door into the the world. Well, that same mindset we need to have in us as believers. We need to take the same type of oath. But our oath is a little different, right? It's, Lord Jesus, forgive me of being a savior. Come into my life and make me yours. Fill me and empower me with your spirit to do your will and not my own. Complete submission to him as our commander, as our king. But the oath is the same. And why do we do that? Because we understand we're going to have hardships too. You know that, that I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but there are gospels out there that says, come to Jesus and everything is going to be perfect. You'll have plenty of money. You'll never get sick. Everybody will love you. But that's not what really happens, does it? Because when you do get sick or when you do have money problems, that same gospel says, well, there must be a problem with you then. There must be sin in your life that you haven't confessed. But I'm sorry, that is not the true gospel. The gospel says that we are going to suffer. The gospel says that we're going to suffer the same things that Christ suffered. And Paul even says that he's thankful that he was accounted worthy to suffer those same things for the name of Christ. So you as a believer, when you take that oath, when you commit your life to Christ, you're saying, I'm ready to take whatever comes at me. So, have I always been a good soldier? Nope. He uses that term there, right, to be a good soldier. I I thought about when I was studying a few weeks ago, why is it good soldier? Well, it's because in any type of unit, you got some good guys, and you have a few bad guys too, right? Even within our military, even within law enforcement, first responders, there's some guys that are 100% down for what they're supposed to be doing. And there's some guys and women that are in there for their still their own gratification, their own benefit. And so I've made mistakes. There's been many times that I knew what the Lord called me to do, I knew what the Word of God was directing me to do, and I didn't do it. Why? Because I was more concerned about my flesh, myself, what it was going to do to me if I was obedient. And so I ran. You know, I actually ran, turned away from what God called me to do. I wasn't a good soldier. And what Paul's doing here with Timothy is reminding him, look, you need to be a good soldier. You need to stand firm. You need to be empowered, again, Acts 1.8, by the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to do what God has called you to do. You can't do it on your own. And we need to be trained, like in basic training, by those that are above us and older than us and more experienced than us to impart their wisdom and knowledge into us so we can be the good soldiers for Christ that he has called us to be. And now we get into verse 4. And I think it's here that Paul gives us a reason why some of those uh, few soldiers are not good soldiers and they cut and run. And it's because, according to verse 4, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him. You see, uh, they have a mindset that it's still about themselves. They haven't, through the the process of basic training, been broken down with their mindset. They're still thinking it's all about them. It's about money. It's about possessions. It's about relationships or lifestyles. Think about the relationships that, you know, I'm older, right? I mean, you can see I'm older, right? I can say that. Think about the relationships that I've had through my years growing up. Some were not healthy. Some were not according to the Word of God. And all they did was take me further away from what God had purposed in my life. So we need to be very careful of what we're allowing to be entangled into our life. Again, if it's a pursuit of money and, 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 and cars and homes and all those types of things, of the world, which, uh, come on, we are the most uh, advertising country in the world, right? Every commercial you see, it's all about you. I need that car because it's faster, and it's, it's faster, <laughs> right? Uh, women, you, know, you gotta have that makeup, you gotta have that dress, you gotta have that perfume, whatever it is, and it'll make you more desirable. And we can go on and on and on and on. The whole system is focused on ourself making me the important thing instead of Christ. So I really feel that Paul is telling him here, look, the reason why some will not endure is because they have not had their mindset changed. You see, anything that gets in the way of carrying out the orders of your commander has caused you to be entangled into the world's affairs. Now, that word entangle, it's it's a really easy word. It means to entwine or weave together something. To entwine or weave together something. And when something is so entwined and so many knots, sometimes all you can do is cut that line and start over, right? A good example is fishing. How many people here have ever gone fishing? Okay. Daniel, have you ever had a line so tangled that you had to cut it? Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes that's the only thing you can do is cut it and start fresh. You see, if our hearts and minds and desires are focused on the things of the world, there is absolutely no way that we can please Jesus Christ, our commanding officer. So that brings me to the next section of what we're going to talk about. You see this cutting of the line and starting over is exactly what basic combat training does to a soldier. You cut the line and you get him to start completely fresh. And there's three main things that BCT, basic combat training does. It transforms their mindset from being self-centered to being unit-focused. It also changes their physical and mental abilities. It gives them endurance that they didn't have before. And the third important thing is it trains them in the weapons of their warfare, the weapons of their battle. So the first first one I want to look at is the transformation process, okay? The transformation process. Before we come to Christ, it's all about me. It's not about you. It's not about my wife. It's not about my kids. That's about me, what makes me happy. That's just the way, we're, that's the way we're geared, okay? But a recruit, when he goes into BCT, the very, from the very day he takes a step off that bus, the world has changed for him or her, okay? You know, Jacob can, can attest to this. And those of you that stood up, you know the day you stepped off that bus, that that re- that recruiting officer or sergeant that was really wooing you to sign on that dotted line. The day you stepped off that bus, it was a different person, uh, literally a different person. And you had a, a DI, a drill instructor. And that person, I truly believe, was a spawn of Satan, okay? At least that was the experience that I had, okay? but. They're there for a purpose, to change my mindset. I got off the bus. I was this young kid. I had these hopes and dreams and what I anticipated it to be. And it was dashed into the dirt very quickly (laughs) and then stomped on repeatedly, right? And uh, again, all of you can attest to that. Your, Your whole mindset was broken. You see, it has to be changed about being about me to be about being about the unit, because your self-preservation, your survival, depends upon who you are with and who you're fighting for. See, uh, within the the Army specifically, they have battle buddies. I don't know, Dan could tell you, I don't know what they call them in the Marines, but in the Army they're called battle buddies. You do everything with a battle buddy. Why? Because you never want to be alone. You always need to have somebody there to have your back, because you never know where the attack is going to come from. You see, guys, the Holy Spirit is our battle buddy. If you don't have your battle buddy, the Holy Spirit in you, Ephesians 1, 14, if you've never been filled with the Spirit by the conversion of your soul, by taking that oath, then you are free game for the enemy. So your mind needs to be changed. It's not about you. It's about the unit. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, James 4 tells us, and this is just for me reading. James 4 says that if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. You see, I was an enemy of God for a long, long time. Because my mindset was, if it's good for me, I'm going to do it. If it's not good for me, I'm not going to do it. This person over here, you got some problems. I don't care. You handle it your own. I'm not going to get involved. That's going to take time away from what I want to do. You see, we have to have that mindset change. It has to be about our brothers and sisters. If you see a brother and sister in need, we're supposed to go to that brother or sister and help and edify and pray with and provide whatever it is that God has given us to offer them. Totally change of how we think, right? It's not about me, it's about you. You see, my old way of thinking, it was basically idolatry. In 1 John 2, 15 and 16, it says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For what is in the world, the lust of the flesh The lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. You see, everything that was about me was those three things right there. Every every decision that you make in your daily life is going to have one of those three things involved in it. Pride, lust of the eyes and the flesh. That's what it's all about. And the enemy knows it. He always attacks us at our basest emotions in our bodies. And those are those three things. So I have to have that change. See, that is idolatry. Anything that separates you from God is idolatry. Wait a minute. You mean having a desire to have an education and and have this huge job and make millions of dollars and have a huge house can get in the way of being obedient to God? Yeah, it can. I'm not saying it always will. But if the love of that thing is more important than the love of Christ, it has become your idol. Children, A lot of you are mothers out here. We, Lee and I know this firsthand. First Sometimes our children become little idols in our life. We're so focused and so concerned about taking care of and doing for them and providing for them that we let so many other things fall by the wayside when actually the most important thing is that we have God first and that they see an example of a godly mother or a godly father living their daily life, serving Christ. That's the greatest thing you could ever do. The greatest thing isn't getting them a new car when they graduate. The greatest thing is passing down to them the truths and the doctrines that will prepare them for the battle that is coming, or maybe already is in their life. So we need to make sure that those idols, whatever it is, is stripped away from our mindset. And how does that happen? Well, Romans 12.2. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, just like basic training where our mindset has to be stripped away from me to the unit, we also have to submit to the Lord and have him transform our mind. And what's cool is that word transform is where we get the word metamorphosis. Anybody, when you were younger or even now, you you see the caterpillar and it goes through the cocoon stage or the chrysalis is the proper term, I guess, and then it comes out, this beautiful butterfly. You see, it's totally different. It's a new thing. Before you came to Christ, you were an enemy of this world, whether you believe it or not. But when you come to Christ, you're transformed. Behold, old things are passed away. All things are made new your mind is transformed. So where are you today with that? I don't know. I know there's been times in my walk with the Lord, like like I said, I've failed many times. And I've asked to ask the Lord, change my mind, Lord. Change my heart. Change my desires. Make me that good soldier for you. And he's faithful, right? He is faithful to do that. If you ask him to do that, he will bless you, and he will transform your mind. You know, I was, I was going to read Philippians 2, 5, and 8, but I'm, I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to kind of paraphrase it. The same mind that we're supposed to have is the same mind that was in Christ. And what was that mindset, according to Philippians? He was willing to give everything up for my benefit. And I'm going to say my benefit If I was the only person on the face of this world, he would have left his place of authority in heaven and he would have come down and he would have allowed himself to be beaten and scourged and crucified because he loved me. Now, put yourself in that same position. That's how much he loves you. His authority, his majesty, his kingship, his godhood. He allowed some things to be stripped away and he became a man. And then he allowed himself to die. The most gruesome death ever devised by man. And why did he do it? Because his mindset was, it's about us. It wasn't about him. Think about it. How many times in the garden did he pray to the Father to take this cup from me? See, he knew the hardship that was coming. He knew the pain and the suffering that was coming. But he willfully submitted it to the Father, not himself. And we have to have that same mind, that it's about those around me. It's a, it's about, folks, let's get real here. It's about my spouse. It's about my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's about my neighbors. It's about my coworkers. Your life should be focused and your mind should be focused on being what you can be for them, not about for yourself. Now, I know this is kind of a downer a little bit today, and I, and I hope it's not too much of a downer. But, guys, you know what? The battle's raging. We know that in our body there are marriages and kids that are going through some horrendous things. Why is that? Well, maybe it's because we think it'll just get better. We'll just hope it gets better. Well, you know, we need to be battle ready like, like we talk about because you are in a battle. Whether you believe it or not, that spiritual battle is raging around you. How many read the book uh, This Present Darkness? by, I think it was a prophet, Ken Prophet, I think his name, or Frank Perretti, Frank Peretti, I'm sorry, okay? Great book, opened my eyes. Again, former Baptist, born and raised Southern Baptist Church. Got saved many times as a young man, okay? Um, but it opened my eyes to the spiritual battle that is around us. And the Word of God tells us that we don't fight against flesh and blood, right? Right? So when, when I make Leah mad, I remind her, honey, it's not me, okay? <laughs> it's not me. It's a spiritual battle, right? But it's, it's the same idea. It's raging around us all the time. And so we have to be prepared for it. Now, Christian basic training helps us to go from that totally focused person about us to what is best for the body of Christ so I can become to be, or become the best soldier for Jesus. Now, part of that change of mindset is submission to your superiors. Now this is going to kind of be a poke to some of us. It was to me. You see, we're trained in basic training uh, to respect those in authority over you. Trust me, I, I didn't want to at many times. I'm sure you didn't either. Um, there, if you're married today, there are many times that you don't want to respect or beca- be under the authority of that person that's in front of you. I mean, we know how that works, right? That's why, you know, the scripture uh, many times, matter of fact, last week, I think in the devotional, it was about marriages and submission, right? And that is a hard word. But we were trained in basic training to be in submission to our superiors because they, even though we may not agree with them, they're supposed to, if 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 they're believers in Christ and they're following what the word is guiding them to do, they have our best interests at heart, right? The body of Christ, we have leadership in the body of Christ for the same purpose. It's what's best for the body. And so we need to be in submission to them. What does that word mean? Well, that word submission is a willful coming under. It's a military term. You know, we we hear so many times, you know, especially in, um, in marriage ministries, you know, well, you just need to tell that woman that she needs to submit to me. Well, I'm sorry. That's not what the word means. It's not a forceful. It's a willful submission. And why do we submit to any authority, whether it's a, a wife to a husband or even a husband to a wife? Because remember, the, the Word of God says submit one to another. It's just not one direction, right? Okay, and the women said amen, right? Okay? Okay? We're supposed to submit to one another willfully because we honor them and respect them. And we know that God has called that person, whoever it is, to be a guiding light to us. And so that's one thing that we need to do. We need to submit to authority. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your your paths. So who are you submitting to? Are you unwilling to submit? Is it going to be your way or no way? Or are you willing to submit to the authority, of the Lord Himself? Are you willing to submit to the Word of God? Are you willing to submit to your brothers and sisters who are praying for you and trying to encourage you in your walk with the Lord? It's so a question that we all have to, to answer on our own. So the second purpose of basic training is physical and mental endurance. It's the second most important part, but sometimes I wonder if it isn't the most important part. You see, you've all heard uh, or seen pictures of people who they're before basic training, how they looked, and they're after basic training, how they looked. You know, Jacob gave me permission to put his picture up there, but I decided not to, okay? Um, But actually, it's like a transformation, not only of the mind, but of the body, right? Because basic training is for a purpose. It gets you prepared for what's coming, Part of that is what we call daily PT, physical training, PT. It has to become a daily, and I mean a daily routine. Look at this lady right here. Look at all the weights that she has on that bar that she's lifting up. And then look at the poor dude in the background. I'm sorry, but... (laughs) He needs to be motivated to be a little more uh, strong in his, whatever he's doing because this young lady who is much smaller than him seems to be doing a whole lot more than he's doing. And that has to do with the mental change. You see, we have to be mentally endured to handle what's coming at us. When, uh, when I went through basic, I think most the most uh, push-ups that I ever did as a wrestler in high school, and if any of you ever wrestled in high school, you know how grueling that is. I think the most we ever did was 50. In basic, we did 145 push-ups at one time, straight. 145. Never thought it could happen. But that encourager, our drill instructor, was able to encourage us to make sure that we did more than our body physically could do. And with the same idea, how many of you have seen the movie Facing the Giants? OK, that movie Facing the Giants, great movie, great movie. Well, there's one there's one part in that movie where the coach is talking to the the kids before the big game on, on the weekend, right? And Brock, who's the big strong lineman, kind of the leader, right? He's got a bad attitude. Yeah, we ain't gonna do anything. These guys are bigger, and stronger, faster, you know, we're we're probably gonna lose. And so what does the coach do? He has to mentally get him to have a mindset of endurance. And if you if if you remember the movie, he has him do the death crawl, gets on all fours, gets one of the, the lighter guys on his back. And he says, what do you think you can do, Brock? And he says, I could could probably make make it to the 50. He says, okay, we're going to do that. He blindfolds him, right? And he gets him started. So he's on all fours with another guy in his back, and he's crawling along the death crawl, and he's going to the 30, you know, and the 35, the 40, the 45. And Brock thinks he's almost there. But, of course, the coach continues to encourage him. Don't give up. Give me what you got. Give me 100%. Don't you stop on me. And, of course, if you watch the movie, Where does he wind up in the very end? In the end zone. He didn't go 50. He went 100 yards. See, the mental endurance sometimes is more important than the physical endurance. When your physical body stops, that's where the mindset takes over of what I can endure. Well, basic training does that. It changes your mindset that it's not about how I feel. It's about what I can accomplish. Christian basic training is the same way. Don't ever think, I'm not gifted to do anything for the body of Christ. I'm not a teacher. I don't have an education. I'm not this. I'm not that. You fill in the blank. I don't have any of these things. Well, good, because you know what? Then if you did something, you would get the glory. You see, the Holy Spirit gives us gifts to empower us and to help us to be a blessing to the body of Christ. That's what it's all about. So when your own abilities are not... Good enough to do something, he empowers you and he strengthens you and he gets the glory for the whole thing. So don't ever think that because you don't think you're something, that you can't accomplish great things for Christ. Amen. But it all has to do with our mindset. You see, our physical and mental strength is found in Jesus. Check out Isaiah uh, 40, 28 to 31. Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth? Neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. That's me. And to those who have no might, He increases their strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. The young men shall fall utterly. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall man up with wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You see when the physical endurance is gone, we rely on something greater than ourselves. We rely on God Almighty who strengthens you, encourages you, and gives you what you need to fulfill or accomplish whatever order He has given you. Amen? So then thinking about endurance and thinking about the mental abilities, I have a question. And again, I want you to remember this. Every Everything that happens in any of the teachings that I've done, or even at you know men's group on Thursdays or, or on, on Wednesdays, it's always to me first. It's not that I'm trying to beat anybody up. These are the things the Lord has reminded me that is in my life. And so I'm just sharing with you. What's my Christian PT? What's my Christian physical training life every day? Remember, it should be a routine, right? It should be a daily part of your of your existence in order to be physically and mentally strong. So the question the Lord asked me was, what's my daily Christian PT like? Am I in the Word every day? Hmm. Hmm. The answer, honestly, for me, personally, is no. I do as much as I can, but there's there's once in a while that I miss being in the Word at all. But that's where my body and my mind are strengthened and prepared for battle, right? Right? And now, could it be because I'm immersed in the distractions of the world, remember the entanglement of the things of this world, whether it's social media, you know, TV, whatever it is, you fill in the blank, sports, hunting, vegging out on the couch, whatever. But the Lord reminded me that, Mike, if you would spend as much time doing the things that I've called you to do, to be in my word and to be in prayer, versus the other things that take so much of your time, you'd be a spiritual giant. And unfortunately, I'm not. I spend a lot of time doing things that don't matter. It's for myself. And I'm sure you're in the same boat with me, right? So that was the encouragement. My question, what is my Christian PT like? I need to be in the word every day. I need to be in prayer every day. I need to be strengthened by him because I want to be battle ready. I want to be ready to take on the enemy at any point, at any place, at any time. Amen? And the final one is training with the weapons of battle. Training with the weapons of battle. Now, there should be a picture back here of, uh, of a different soldier that has everything. The old, the old Roman soldier. He's got his sword. He's got his breastplate, His helmet. He's got his, his shield. This is where it all kind of boils down. This is what all the training is about. It's using the weapons that you've been trained to use in the fight. But our weapons are different from regular weapons. You know, basic training, they teach you how to use, you know, your weapons, whether it's, you know, the M4 or the, the saw, which is a great weapon, by the way. Okay, squad automatic weapon, it's the, you know, it's the machine gun, you know, those are fun. know? Um, You have uh, laws, light anti-tank weapons. It's like the old, remember the old bazooka from the old movies, the old bazookas? You remember those? Well, they have new ones now. They're much smaller, but they're so cool, right? But you you name it, all the things, the grenades, uh, your, your plate carriers and your boots and your uniform, your helmet, all those things are designed to protect you, but it's different in the Word of God. Same idea, and Paul uses that, right? Paul talks about that in Ephesians 6. And he relates the Roman soldiers that he was around so much, chained to, by the way, to how we're supposed to use those weapons of warfare in our own daily life. So the first thing I want to do is I, I want to read that. So if you got your Bible still, turn to Ephesians 6, and we're going to read over here uh, ch- uh, verses 6 through 7, or 10 through 17. He says, uh, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, talked about that, right? But against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up, now that's important, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, and here comes the weapons of the believer today. Having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, real quickly, girding your waist. Well, girding your waist with truth. See, the, the Roman soldiers, they had a belt. And they would, that belt was very important. They would take that belt and they would tuck their tunic into it, right? They would attach other things, other weapons to their belt, right? That's where everything kind of hung on. It was kind of like the foundation. Think about this. You ever see an officer out on the street? They've got this big old duty belt, right? And there's all kinds of things hanging from it. Well, that belt spiritually is truth. You are to wrap around yourself truth. Well, who is truth? Christ. He is truth. The word of God is truth. And it's, again, it's for gathering up. It's for being a central foundation. It's for putting other things to put you in a battle-ready frame of mind. As As a former officer, whenever I would put on my duty belt in the locker room, it changed my mindset. Joking around, having a good time, you know, you know, doing the stuff the guys doing in locker rooms with the other guys, you know, making fun of everybody, right? But man, when, when you got to that point, when you put that belt on, it's like it was a snap. And your mind went from it's all about fun and games to now it's about business. Because you were getting ready to go out of that locker room into the battle. So putting that belt on puts you in a different frame of mind. A battle-ready frame of mind. In 2 uh, Timothy three sixteen and 17... It says, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. And also in John 8, 31 and 32, it says, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You see, we wrap ourselves in the word of truth and it'll make you free. It'll enable you to have that firm foundation of the other things that God is going to put in your life. It's going to enable you to move freely because you'll know what's right and wrong. You won't be timid trying to figure out, man, should I do that or not do that? I'm not sure. Which way should I go? The Word of God is truth. I mean, the scripture tells us that the Word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. If you wrap yourself in truth, you're going to know how to make those decisions. Now, you may not make the right decision because that's a choice of your will, right? But the Word of God illuminates it. So wrap yourself in the Word of God. The second thing is the breastplate of righteousness. I mean, look at the breastplate up here. It covers, right? It covers what? The vital organs. That was the, what the breastplate was for. It covered the vital organs of that soldier. Well, our breastplate is a breastplate of righteousness, right? Right? It covers our vital organs, specifically our heart. Why? Because the heart at that time was thought of as the seat of all of your passions, all of your desires, all of your wants, right? It was the heart. The seat of all those passions was the heart. Luke 6.45 tells us, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings good for, gives forth good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. So we need to guard our heart with the breastplate of righteousness. Whose righteousness? Is it my own? Oh, man, no way. I fail and I fall every single day. See, remember, Christians aren't perfect, right? We're just forgiven under God's grace. Now, a person who continually fails and doesn't have any, any remorse for it, at all. Personally, I wonder, were you really a believer in the first place? There should be a little bit of remorse that when you don't please the one who enlisted you, there's like, oh man, Lord, I'm sorry about that and go on. You're never going to be perfect until the day that we're out of this body of flesh and bones and we have our new spiritual body, right? And we're in the presence of the Lord. Then you're (laughs) going to be perfect but not until then. You're going to fail. So we need to make sure that we cover or protect our heart with his righteousness. See, Philippians 3.9 says that we're to be found in him, not our own. We're to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. You see, there's two points here. There's the believer and his righteousness, and then there's the non-believer and his righteousness. See, if you're a non-believer here today, if you haven't taken that oath and submitted your life to Christ, um, your spiritual battle is going to be so difficult because, again, you're trying to do it on your own. But if you're a believer, you know that even though you're going to fail, God has it in control. He, nothing surprises our God, right? He doesn't sit up there going, oh, man, I, I didn't see that coming. No, he already knows, and he works things out for our benefit, according to Romans 8, right? And the second thing I want to talk about righteousness is the speech that I gave to my boys, two of them that went into the service, Eric and then Jacob. And I remember having the conversation with both of them, and they went in at separate times. The day Eric came home from the Marines was the day that Jacob was leaving to go to the Army. It was a, oof, that was a tough day. But I gave them a speech, and I, and I told them separately, look, guys, There's nothing more fierce on the battlefield than a Christian soldier. And I was trying to increase their faith and, you know, give them a mindset that they could could accomplish things, right? And I reminded them it's because of this one thing. As a believer in Christ, you are covered in his protection. You have every bit of his shield and his, his, his mercy and his protection over you, and nothing could ever hurt you on the battlefield unless he wills it. So you don't have to worry about what happens. If you die in battle, you know that you take your last breath here, and you take your next breath in eternity with Almighty God. So you can be a fierce warrior on the battlefield because you're not cared, you don't care about your life because you know where you're going. Unfortunately, there's so many people in this world today that they don't have faith. They don't have salvation in Christ. And that's why most of them, and maybe some of us today, um, are, are fearful of death because maybe we haven't really made that complete oath. Maybe we've just been playing church for a long time. I don't know. I did that a few months ago when I, when I taught the last time, I talked about the modern-day Pharisee, right, and how I was one of them, raised up in the church, did all the things I was supposed to do down to the letter, kind of like Paul did, right? But my heart was so far from God. So we need to, we need to really focus on is it him and not me? Are you battle ready? Are you ready to die? Are you ready to give up whatever you got to give up for the glory and the majesty of your commander-in-chief? That's a question I have for you. Moving on. Uh, verse 15 there in Ephesians uh, 6. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. Well, look, those, those, those shoes they wore, they were kind of cool. Um, they had nails driven into them to give them good footing because the last thing you need on the battlefield is to be slipping and sliding like you're on you know, snot or mud, right? You don't, you don't want to have a bad footing. You want to be able to be secure. I mean, the modern-day uh, warfare, I mean, these are Jacob's old boots up here. They're huge, but they're, but they're up here, okay? And if you look at the bottom of them, I mean, they're designed to be able to have a good tread, a good grip. I call it gription, okay? Good gription because they need to be secure in what their footing is to either be in combat or to handle the weaponry or to be running or jumping you know, faster and higher, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but it's very important to have our feet prepared. Our feet are to be prepared with the gospel of peace. And that word preparation is very important, okay? It, the word is actively in a state of readiness. Your feet shod with the gospel of peace, the gospel needs to be always ready and prepared for whatever is going to come at you. Well, if you aren't in the Word every day, if you haven't wrapped yourself around with those things, then you're not going to be ready for battle. Luke uh, 6 says, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you who he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation of the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon the rock. You see, this person was active, right? They were prepared. They were doing. Well, what are we doing? I mean, when I say, what are you? I mean, me. what am I doing? Am I actively prepared for what the enemy is trying to bring into my life, into my marriage, into my family, into our church? I don't know. That's something that we need to ask the Lord. You see, the gospel of Christ is the firm foundation of our walk. Your daily walk is the firm foundation created by the gospel of Christ, and it gives you the ability to handle whatever comes at you in the battle. Now, in verse 16 of Ephesians 6, it says, And above all, take in the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench the fiery darts. Now, think about it. They have this shield, Right? huge shield. Typically, it was made of a, a, a wood with some metals around it, okay? And the fiery darts that would come from the enemy would stick in that wood. Now, the reason why those darts were fiery darts and not just a regular dart coming in, because when it would stick in that shield of that Roman soldier, it was a And it was intended to be a distraction. They were hoping that that fire on that shield would get so intense if two or three of them were in that shield, that that Roman soldier would be so distracted to the flame that they would drop the shield to get rid of it. Well, when you drop your shield, now you are susceptible to the spear thrusts of the opposing enemy. So you and I, we need to make sure that we have that shield of faith. Because that shield of faith is so cool, it not only causes those arrows of the enemy to stick, It says it quenches them. It puts them out. There's no more fire in what the enemy wants in your life through the shield of faith. It says says above all. Now It doesn't mean this is the number one thing. It means in everything or in every circumstances. So whatever you're endeavoring to do, whether it's to start a new fellowship or to minister to a neighbor or to start a Bible study in your home, whatever it is, It needs to be done with the covering of the shield of faith. Now, what are the fiery darts that the enemy shoots at us? Well, I came up with a few. You could probably name a hundred. I came up with a few. And the one that really came to to my mind was negative thoughts. The enemy is always throwing those fiery arrows at me with negative thoughts, reminding me of my unworthiness, reminding me that I'm not equipped or able to do anything for Christ because of all the garbage that's in my past. How many of you have ever felt that you're not worthy or adequate to do anything because of everything that you brought in your luggage? Well, but remember, old things are passed away. All things are new. You, if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. The enemy wants to remind you by these darts coming at you. But Christ doesn't remember those things. When the Father looks at you, guess what he sees? He sees his son, Jesus, because you are covered in Christ. The word tells us that when you come to Christ, that you put on Christ, and that word is in duo, and it means to cover with or to sink into. It's like taking your favorite your favorite bathrobe or your favorite winter jacket and just wrapping yourself in it. That's what the Father sees. He sees Christ covering you completely. So those fiery darts don't penetrate Christ, do they? Because nothing can penetrate Jesus Christ. Nothing. The enemy doesn't have any power over him. Have you ever even doubted your salvation? I have. Those darts that come at us from the enemy have to be quenched. And they can only be quenched by the shield of faith. Uh, look at John, or 1 John 5.4. 1 John 5.4, it says... For whatever, it, whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and that victory that has overcome the world is our faith. See, faith is extremely important. It's the word pistis, and it means to have a conviction or a belief in. Well, I'm convinced that when I hit the light switch, the lights are going to come on, right? Does it always happen, though? Nope. Especially when you live in middle Tennessee and we, had a, and we have a storm. That light may not come on, Okay but you can be guaranteed 100% that if you put your faith in Christ, he is going to do and accomplish what he said he'll do in your life because he is faithful. It's all about trust. The shield of faith is about trusting in Christ. Those fiery darts are consumed by him and him alone. So think about it this way, guys. Think to yourself, when I'm weak, he is strong. When I'm faithless, he is faithful. When I'm in a sinful state, he is righteous. And when I feel unworthy, I know that he is worthy to receive all power and glory because he is almighty God. You see, our shield is the covering and the protection that only Jesus himself can provide where nothing can penetrate. And moving on here to the last two, the helmet of salvation. I mean, you can see one of the helmets down here of heavy, a lot, lot heavier than I thought it would have been when I went through basic. I know the new stuff they have today is a, made out of Kevlar, right? We had the old steel pots, man. I mean, you could literally cook your meals in them, okay? And you would shave in them. Seriously, you would put the water, and you'd shave, put the water out of your steel pot, okay? The new stuff was a lot lighter weight, more high tech. But the Roman helmet was for the protection of the head and the ears and the eyes. You see, your ears and your eyes, now this is specifically for not just us older folks, but the young people. Your ears and your eyes are a gateway into your soul. What you allow to come in is going to affect your daily walk with Christ. So just like the helmet is to protect those things, we need, we need to take upon the helmet of salvation protect what we see and what we hear you see if you if you really in your mind say look i'm saved by the grace of jesus christ i was bought with a precious price the blood of christ i don't want to do anything to bring dishonor to his name that should make you stop and think man should i be watching this thing or should i be listening to this conversation see that's what the helmet of salvation does for us it protects us Because we want to make sure that whatever's coming into these portals is good and pure and righteous. Because if it's not, young folks, it's going to change you. It's going to make you, um, it's going to acculturate you to the culture. It said whatever one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. And that's what we see today, right? The things that used to be just not talked about is now front, line, and center. It's promoted and it's encouraged every single day in our media and TV programs. So be careful what you allow to come in. And the last thing here is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. All the armor that we talked about was all defensive. This is your offensive weapon. Are you any good? Is, okay, watch this. If a law enforcement officer goes out into the public but he doesn't have any offensive weapons, and he gets into a tough situation, it's not going to be any good, as we say, no bueno. The same thing with us. We need to make sure that we have our offensive weapon ready at all times, which is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. You see, the Romans used that that short sword, and you can see it up here. It wasn't real long. Why? Because it was specifically used for close combat. You see, the enemy wants to be in close combat with you, right? He's always near you. He's always whispering. He's always trying to throw those darts at a close range, hoping to hit those vital areas that's not protected by your shield. Okay? And the sword is designed for penetrating, slashing and penetrating. And that's what the Romans used. But see, with any any part of this equipment, you have to be skilled. If you're not skilled with your sword, the word of God, how are you going to use it effectively? When a, when a person uh, of the military goes into battle or, again, law enforcement goes out into the world, they have to be skilled in the use of their weaponry. How about me? Am I training? Am I trained daily in the Word of God? Am I able to apply what the Word of God is telling me in my daily life? Or am I so unskilled that when something happens, I'm not effective? How many times has somebody asked you, hey, what about this? I know what, what the, I, I'm not sure what the word of God says, but I've heard that the Bible says this. Are you able to answer that person? Are you able to give them encouragement and guidance from the word of God? Are you skilled in it? Or are you like I was for so many years and said, well, here, let, me, let, me, let me have you go talk to my pastor because I really have no idea what you're talking about. You see, we have to be skilled. We have to be prepared because you, again, you are on the front lines of the battle. You know, Pastor Tim, he's not on the front lines. He's up here on on Sunday. But you guys, you're on the front lines. The battlefield is when you walk out those doors, right? In your homes, in your workplaces, where you go shopping, in your neighborhoods. That is the front lines. And you need to be ready to have that spirit, the sword of the spirit ready to be able to penetrate what the enemy is doing. You need to be effective. See, our our sword, the word of God, according to Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the division and soul of the spirit and of joints and of marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. See, that's the important part right there. It discerns the intents and the thoughts of our heart. How many times have I attempted to do something because I thought it was a good thing to do but that's not what God called me to do and come to find out I did it for my own selfish reasons I thought I was going to get a pat on the back or I was going to get somebody to say something positive about me you see the intent of my heart was the wrong thing my motives were wrong so we need to make sure that we are skilled in the word of God to remind us and to show us what our motives are and to be ready at a moment's notice, to bring that sword out to be able to either rebuke or encourage or to enlighten people that don't have any understanding. I mean, people in the world today, especially in America, man, their faith is about an inch thick and a mile wide. They don't have an understanding of the Word of God. Very, according to the Barnapole, very few born-again Christians, Okay, their own term, born-again Christians, can't spell out for you what it means to be saved, can't teach you or train you or talk to you about basic biblical principles of salvation. And it's because we, and I say we, we are not skilled like we should be. So how do we train? How do we make sure that we are equipped and trained to use the word of God, 2 Timothy 2.16? And this is me. It's not up there. It's me. To be diligent, to present yourself approved of God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word. To be diligent, it's active again. The word of God is not going to open up. You have to sit down and open it yourself. And in Acts 17.11, these, speaking of the Bereans, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether the things were true. You see, they were ready to search it. They were actively involved in trying to find out what the Word of God is trying to tell them to apply on their daily life. And that's how we train. So uh, in closing, guys, the weapons of soldiers, just like the weapons that we use for spiritual battle, are absolutely useless unless somebody with skill picks it up. If you have never fired a weapon in your life, How are you going to take that weapon and go to combat with it? It's not going to happen. If my wife said, hey, I need you to take that sewing machine and I I need you to do some mending on a shirt, I'm going to wind up piercing my fingers. I have no way how to use that thing. So we need to be trained. And it's useless unless you're skilled. Ephesians 6.13 makes it really clear. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. You see that word take up? At the very beginning of all that, it's anelombano, and the root word is lumbano, And I've used this word in many of the teachings because to me it means a lot. Again, it's active. It's action word. I like action words, right? It means to lay hold of or to take hold of, to make your own or to raise up. And and the best example I can give is this. If you were were in uh, in the ocean and you were drowning, and somebody came by and threw you a life preserver, how would you grab onto that? Would you just kind of, with one hand, kind of grab it and just kind of hang there with it? No, you're going to grab it and wrap every bit of your body around it, right? You're going to make it your own. You're going to grasp it. You're going to lay hold of it. And so that word means so much to me. We need to actively grab hold of, make it your own, every bit of the armor of God. You are soldiers, men and women for Christ. You you need to be equipped and covered in the armor that God has provided you. Because whether you believe it or not, you are in a battle. And you either are going to be victorious or you're going to fall on the battlefield. So I've got a couple questions here. How skilled are you in using the armor that God has given you? Are you even using your armor? How often do you train with what God has given you? Are you mentally and physically ready to endure what's coming at you? Is your mindset all in for Christ and the body of Christ, or is it still about what you want? but your needs. Well, don't, don't lose hope. Because Romans 8.37 tells us that yet in all things we are more than conquerors in Christ through him who loves us. So even if I'm failing at that, and guys, look, I am the number one failure of all these things that we've talked about. Through my life, I've been uncovered and <laughs> virtually naked in the battle. Even though I called myself a believer, I didn't have any of the armor on. I can remember at one time in my life where the Word of God that sat in the back of the car to go to church, I don't think I ever opened it. It sat in that back seat for long, long periods of time. So what I'm trying to tell you is there's hope. If you call yourself a believer today and you've taken that oath of office, so to speak, then all you got to do is repent. Lord, forgive me for not being ready. Forgive me for not taking up the whole armor of God. And he will bless you. He will show you. Through his word, he will wrap himself around you. And he will prepare you for what we know is already here and coming. And what about you that you've never made that oath? Maybe that you've been in church your whole life. When I was raised a Southern Baptist, like I said, you know. Again, I got saved seven times as a young man. It's because I knew church, right, I knew the rights and wrongs, but I really didn't have a relationship. And that's what it's all about. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you've never taken that oath of office, if you've never said, Lord Jesus, forgive me, then basically you're you're on the battlefield at the, at the, the wiles of the enemy. So I want to give us an opportunity. So as the, as the worship team comes up, what I want to do is I just want to have everybody bow their head and close their eyes, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to either renew your your oath. When you re-enlist in the service, you have to take an oath again. Not that you forgot your oath, but it's just a reminder of what you are called to do. So if you're a believer here, you've put your faith in Christ at a younger age, but maybe you've kind of been doing your own thing. It's been all about you, and you haven't been committed to following the orders of your commanding general, Christ Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity to recommit yourself today. And if you're here and you've never put your trust in Christ, you have no idea what that means to be surrounded by his armor, I'm going to give you an opportunity to take that oath today. So, Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that uh, you are a commander. And that we can trust in you because we know that you have, you have thoughts for us that we can't even understand or envision. Like Jeremiah 29.11 tells us, Lord, that your thoughts for us, <laughs> I can't even imagine them, Lord. So, Lord, if, if there's somebody here today that had taken that oath and committed themselves to your service in the past but hasn't been doing the good job of being a good soldier. Lord, I pray that even right now that your Holy Spirit would be wooing them and drawing them to make a recommitment, to re-enlist in the army of God. And, lo- and if that's you, if, if that's you here today, and you've, you've felt the pulling and the tugging at your heart, you realize that you have not been a good soldier, and you want to make a recommitment to your service of the King, I just want you to slide your hand up Let me see you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you in the back. God bless you. And that's what it's all about. God bless you. It's about that commitment to following what you have called us to do, Lord. To be our commander and our king. It's all about our service to you for your glory, not about ourselves. So I thank you for those hearts here already that have recommitted to your service. And, now, Lord, now, if there's anybody here that has never made that commitment, they've never said, I want to give up my rights and my authority, and I want to enlist as one of your foot soldiers, that I trust in you, Lord Jesus, as my commander. I commit my life to you, and I submit my life to you willingly. If that's you, you've never made that commitment, but the, the Lord is calling you right now, just raise your hand up also that you realize that it's been about you and that you are not willing to lay your life down in the past, but now you are, that you understand that it's all about him. So, Father, we thank you for the recommitments today. And we know, Lord, that you are merciful, and that you're righteous, and that you're gracious. And, Lord, I don't want anybody going out of here today feeling like they were beat up Lord, I want them to feel that they have been encouraged like the drill sergeant that I had, Sergeant McNutt. That he reminded me that I could do so much more if I would just be willing to be molded. Lord, we want to be molded by you. We want to be able to, be, to, be able to do so much more than we can think of for your glory. So, Lord, I pray that every person here today would take up the whole armor of God, and that they would surround themselves with your power and your strength, and that they would go forth today into the battlefield ready to take on the enemy. Because, Lord, we know that we are more than conquerors because of what you have already done in us. So we praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name.